Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Hunter, um, programmer, developer, indie author, blah, blah, blah. I do a lot of stuff. Um, this, because I do a lot of things, uh, some of these episodes are going to be like focused episodes. And this one in particular is going to be focusing on self-publishing because it's what I get asked about a lot, asked about a lot when uh, people are, uh, you know, know that I write books and they kind of are scratching it. They really don't know too well. So they're scratching their heads about it. And I never really explained it to too many people who are outside the self-publishing world. So let's look at what's weird this week. One of the weirder things that has popped up is Trader Joe's uh, website or the YouTube channel in particular. And there's, I, I, I visited it. It's a strange, <laughs> a very, very strange, strange place. Uh, the Sun Sentinel did uh, an article about it. A couple other places have been posting about it recently. Um, there, There's like weird stuff going on with food uh, all over the place. Um, I, don't, I don't know who came up with this, uh, but it's, it's funny. It's vibrant. It's bright. But of course, most of all, it's weird. And uh, if you get a chance, check it out. Check out Trader Joe's uh, uh, YouTube channel. That's, uh, it's something to behold, absolutely. Uh, a study that was published recently in the Journal of Health and Psychology apparently links obesity to overestimating time. So um, it, it was an interesting article to check out. And uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll read part of it here. Individuals with high residual levels of hunger showed higher variability of responses for the timing of primary reinforcement oriented actions. Conversely, those with a low level of hunger after a snack per se showed higher response variability in the timing of secondary reinforced oriented actions. The study explained if further research can more directly link obesity to overestimating of time, dietitians can potentially consider tackling obesity with psychological methods. Time and distance overestimation biases can be discouraging for individuals that require physical activity to mitigate weight gain. So this article, this paper essentially is saying that, you know, that those two traits are kind of linked together. And if you, maybe you can attack obesity through getting people to be better at time management. I, I almost don't deny, I almost, I can almost understand this because I know like, Man, a couple of years ago, I started eating way more than I should, and even now, I like struggle with it a little bit because I, I eat too much. And it's um, there are many reasons for that. That will be in a podcast for later. I'm not obese by any stretch of the imagination, but I do way more than I should. I always find that when I do eat a lot, it I tend to lose track of time. I do, um, and when I'm uh, not as uh, satiated, that. I am well aware and well managed and alert and everything else. So may, there might be something to this. It could also be just uh, correlation. And again, correlation does not exactly mean causation. But And of course, in uh, mainstream politics, it continues to be a weird week with... Uh, the, 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 I'm so confused about the Russia investigation stuff and why that's uh, either why it's so difficult for them to get that straight or why we're still going on about it if there's nothing there. I mean, it's been... God, Trump's almost been in office for what two and a half years now. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. Meanwhile, he goes on and does something, which I'm going to say. In for looking at it now, looks completely crazy. Um, it's the first really, really, really crazy thing I think he did. But I think it's a bold kind of 
my dick is bigger than yours thing with him in China. But uh, the, them lifting, it, uh, uh, imposing these higher tariffs on on Chinese imports and, you know, the wild claim about all this money you're going to get from it. But it's kind of it's kind of funny because you'll get people, conservatives who knock uh, Alex, what's her name, AOC for her, you know, saying that Amazon not coming to New York State saved them like they got back a lot of money that would have gone to Amazon and it doesn't work that way if. Amazon doesn't get it. A tax break is it money that it exists and then goes to Amazon. A tax break means just Amazon is not paying money to you. You're not getting the money either way. And it's the same thing with these tariffs. Um, it's like you can't count. It, uh, you know, And now it's on the other side and Trump is going on about all this money they're going to get from it. I mean, it's a bold move. It could be a boneheaded move. But then again, that guy, sometimes he does stuff and you think it's absolutely bad shit crazy and then it winds up working out in the end it's weird he's he, again he is a, such a weird anomaly uh but right now i think that this, i think among everything else um and again this is me looking at as an independent this might be a big deal if china because the cost of everything is going to wind up go, wind up going up in the country in the next couple of months if this doesn't get resolved and they don't get this trade dispute uh resolved with the tariffs and China manipulating its uh, current. I think the main thing is the intellectual property rights, which dives into the topic we're talking about today. There are a lot of, uh, unfortunately, uh, parties in China that do violate uh, U.S. copyright laws. I mean, all over the place, not just for big companies. I mean, for even if you're a, a person with any kind of a business or anything that's online, you know, videos, whatever, music, books in this case you know it can get jacked by somebody in china and they will just go and sell it and make money off of it and you don't get a dime you might not even know they're doing it uh so there's a lot of that that goes on and um i think that's what the it's supposed to be what that uh the whole tariff thing against china is supposed to be about but we'll see uh you know again trump's been on about china forever and a day I think it's a mistake to uh, try to play my dick is bigger with yours when you're dealing with the nation's money and people's livelihoods and products. Um, and in a short term, it may, I think you will see a benefit in the short term, but there's a reason the markets went down. Uh, that's because people know that tariffs in the long term mean bad things for the country and for small businesses, which dives into our topic for today. So self-publishing, it's a funny thing um, that I... Again, so most of my friends don't know about it. Um, the few people I really do talk, because most of my friends aren't readers, but a few of them are. A few, a few are just really supportive, but they constantly ask, what is the difference of, uh, you know, what does self-publishing mean? I, I, I do notice that it has a lot more respect now, especially the last couple of years, than it would be if you said that like 15 years ago. People would have thought like, oh, you're just doing vanity press you're just put posting a pdfs on amazon or something like that uh which still does happen unfortunately uh but uh no most people they they they're curious they're they're interested but it never i've never really gone into detail about it there are people in the writing industry still to this day and it's, it amazes me in 2019 it's still like this that don't get it um and i see uh tons of videos and articles. I'm in a couple of writing groups online, different social media platforms. And you see a lot of people who don't know anything about it, talking a whole lot about it either. Um, well, most of it you hear from people who, who don't like it, 
they just dismiss it outright because, you know, I guess there's some love affair with the old gatekeeper traditional way of doing it. Um, you know, there are, you know, there's, there's this kind of snottiness about it and turning your nose up at it and everything else. But um, a lot of misinformation, too. On the other side, uh, there are a lot of people who are taking advantage of people in the self-publishing world. And uh, that's a problem, too. Um as of, I guess, what was the statistics were like almost 30 some percent of books, period, sold are from indie publishing, uh, self publishers. So it is becoming a legitimate, it was it becoming, it is a legitimate spot in the market. Um, and it's not, oh, well, that's a few people here and there. No, it's not. There's a lot of people beyond Amanda Hocking, beyond Adam Croft and Andy Weir, who, who uh, wrote the book uh, that became the, the, the movie The Martian. Uh, beyond uh, beyond the Fifty Shades of Grey, beyond all that stuff, I mean, there's there's authors you never heard of that are millionaires. Um, uh, you can, I can go to Mark Dawson, Michael Anderley, uh, Shane Silvers, who's a very good uh, urban fantasy author too. And you know, every week I do a lot of research when I'm I'm working on my book stuff and my profile in that world. And it's like almost every week I, I stumble across another author who's in, in my genre or related genre, urban fantasy or horror. And they, I was like, where, oh, I've never even heard of this person. And oh my God, look at all the books they sell. Cause there's a way you can see an estimate of how many books somebody's selling on Amazon. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating uh, world, but it is a very misunderstood world. So let's go back to what uh, self-publishing isn't. I should say self-publishing isn't vanity publishing. Um, a lot of people get that confused right off the bat. Vanity Publishing, there and there was a place called Vanity Press. I remember because they used to send me stuff when I was in high school to try to get me and my parents to give them money for them to publish my book, you know, whatever. But unfortunately, never did it. It was like $3,000 back in the what, this late 90s, I guess. It was weird. But um, that's what a, a, a Vanity Publishing is. It's when there's a company out there that's a quote-unquote publishing house and they contact people who are sending out query letters or whatever um they'll contact them they'll put ads in the paper back in the day when that was a thing ads in the phone book and you know if you were looking for an agent you might stumble or or a publishing company you might stumble across them and they'll say yeah we like your book blah blah blah, blah. and it'll pump you up to make you think oh my god oh my god and then they hit you with the hammer. We just need $3,000 in order to process the blah, 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 blah. And that has been going on for decades. And a lot of people fall into it. A lot of authors over the years have given thousands and thousands of dollars to people in vanity presses for somebody basically to not edit the book, not create any kind of real decent cover for it, not do any promotion for it. They basically take your money and then print a book back in the day was just printing a book. I guess now they also put up the eBooks online, but they don't do any kind of real strategic marketing with it, which is what the publishing is. The main thing you want from a publishing company. The main thing authors want from a publishing company is that's what they provide is the marketing. Uh, make me a star, make me famous. And the vanity presses are not what that is. So, but that's not what self publishing is. Uh, self publishing. Now, technically you could say, or indie authors, you could say that it's anybody who writes a story and puts it on Amazon or Kobo or Barnes and Noble or whatever, which you can do. You can convert a PDF to a, a file that'll play on the Nook or Kindle and put it on the store and 
you know, there's a book, you're an author, bang, you know. Um, in the past, and I'm guilty of this too, when I started out, uh, the quality of those books are pretty bad. There's still a lot of bad quality books online, uh, but they're not formatted right. Obviously, there's lots of other issues and errors and grammar and blah, 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 blah. And covers look like somebody did it in Microsoft Paint or whatever. It's just it's just not not very well slickly produced materials. Um, so there's that end. Then there's the what I call professional self-publishing, which are the the people out there, and there's not too many of them. There's maybe like a couple thousand, really, who are really professional self-publishers. And these are people, what they do is they basically do the same job of a publishing company, but they just do it themselves or they have, they get a team of people to do it. So, you know, they'll hire a cover artist who's who's known for making book covers to make their book cover. They'll hire a editor who's, you know, edited books for other major authors to edit their book or somebody who's a retiree or somebody who used to work in the industry and wants a lighter schedule or kids. So there's some prodigy out of college or something like that who are good at editing. Um, and there's lots of services to vet them. It's funny. A lot of people don't use those services to get good editors, but they are out there. Um, and I'll talk to the bad side that does go in a little bit into the bad side of self-publishing. But essentially they do that. They learn how to to market. And that's where that's why self-publishing has become such a big thing. And I talked the other week about, you know, the mayor of Baltimore having, you know, that scandal about her self-publishing her book and all the money that was involved with it. Um, it it's the, the sign of the times you we are in a digital world where you don't need somebody else to put content out to the world for you. You used to need that. You don't need it anymore. Anybody can put out anything. It's true with music. It's true with movies. It's true on you know YouTube. Obviously, it's a bastion of that podcast. Everything else, uh, books, literature is no different. Um, so a lot of people in the literary world have a problem with that too. They they have, uh, you know, it must be uh, up to these standards and everything else. The truth about it is because having had a small print publisher myself, small print publisher myself in the past. Um, that I that really wasn't anything. Didn't go anywhere. I didn't pay for anything. They gave me, what did I make? Like $700 off of that as, uh, you know, my, my initial signing bonus or whatever. And nothing ever happened of it. They never, I, I never, nothing really ever came of the thing. So, and that I do hear that from a lot of traditionally published authors who are mid list or lower, that that is kind of the case is that if, unless you have a name or a following, already you're not they're not really getting behind you um there's a lot less money in promoting books now of course again uh reading is one of those uh old forms of entertainment that is slowly being chipped away at because of new forms of entertainment there still is a healthy or a healthy amount of readers in just america alone you know something like 30 20 to 30 million readers in the country which is, you know, proportioned to the fact that there's 330 million people in the country. That is kind of low, but there are like 30 million people who 30, 20 to 30 million people who read, who claim to read over eight, eight or more books a year. It's a, it's a strange little world that the professional self-publisher lives in because they don't get a lot of respect. They're getting more respect, but there are a lot of people who think that they're nothing more than um, uh, glorify vanity publishers. And they're not, because again, like I said, the diff the difference between them and between somebody who's got uh who's with Random House or HarperCollins, the big difference is that HarperCollins the big publishers have more money to promote, 
and have, you know, they have all that infrastructure set up. Outside of actually getting your book in front of people's faces, though, the traditional publishing industry, because it is full of a lot of people, and I've mentioned this before by the people who turn their nose up about it, who are kind of stuck in a behind the times, let's say. They're kind of stuck there and they don't want to go in the new and they just want to keep on. No, we're just going to keep doing this. Ignore all this new stuff that's happening and they get really snot and all that new stuff just d- decreases the quality. It's not as good. So, you know, you get that kind of thing. Uh, but what they haven't noticed is that there's all of these marketing opportunities that have opened up because of the Internet. And there are other people out there who are writers and who are smart people who capitalized on that. You had a lot of people who capitalized on Facebook ads. Uh, who capitalized on Twitter, social media in general, uh, Instagram. There's a whole section of Instagram, Bookstagram. There's a booktubers on, on YouTube, a bunch of book reviewers. There's all these new avenues that the traditional companies were very, very slow to pick up on, and a lot of them still haven't picked up on it. But you have people in particular, um, I think Mark Dawson is probably one of the bigger ones you're going to hear about. I'll say bigger and legitimate because, again, I'll get to the negative side of self-publishing in a bit. Uh, but Mark Dawson, he was a guy, um, this is one of one of those cases for me that you hear somebody did something and it's an idea that you kind of had, but you never really did anything about. And then you hear somebody did it and was very successful at it. And you're kind of like, ah, God damn it. Uh, for me, it's Mark Dawson, Mark Dawson. Um, and I mentioned this before in other videos and podcasts that I've done, um, I, his story very briefly, I don't need to pump up Mark any more than he already is, but uh, he was a former lawyer and then he was a, 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 a critic for the for some British TV or something. He was, I think he was in charge of censorship or whatever. I don't know. Him and his partner, James, were watching bad, naughty movies and oh, the ratings board or whatever. Uh, so he decided to try to publish his own book on Kindle. He did so. Um, he used one of the promotional days, got like tens of thousands of people to read his book. But he realized he had, it, that was great, although he had no way of capturing all those people's information. So then he started using the modern day tools of a mailing list and he got started putting people on his mailing list. As his mailing list has grown, which I think the last time I heard him talk about it, I think he's got something like 70 to 80,000 people on his mailing list, something crazy like that. He's got all these people. Most of them are dedicated fans and he basically has his own little you know audience that he could put out. I mean, with that many people, even just if half of them buy a book, every book he puts out, the guy's making bank. He gets a lot more than that too, because it's kind of like a snowball effect because he's got so many fans and they read so many books that mean, and they buy all of his books. That means his books are ranked higher in the store, which means they get more exposure, which means they have more reviews and the more that other people look at it and go, Hey, what's this? And they can see that he's got like what, 10, 10, 12 books in a series. And it's got all these high rankings and all these people have, you know, it has visibility that way. So it was a very smart thing that he did. A couple other uh, indie authors have done that over the past, I guess, five or six years. I think he started in 2014. And uh, in just that short period of time, you know, I, I followed him. I, I found out about him in like the very end of 2016. And I've been following him since. Um, he's made himself a little empire there with, uh, you know, he's, he's a millionaire. He, I think he uh, even talked about on his uh, recent podcast I listened to that last year, just from his books alone, he made a million dollars, but he also now teaches courses in self-publishing. Um, he has a podcast. He has all kinds of stuff. Joanna Penn's another one that you probably have heard of or may or may not have heard of. She's been at this for a long, long time. She's like an OG self-publisher. You can learn a lot from her. 
Um, you've got uh, guys like Derek Murphy, Chris Fox, uh, and there's a bunch of other people. Lindsay Baroker, she's got a, a YouTube channel and a podcast. There is just like, I don't know, probably a good hundred of them that I could probably think about and go, oh yeah, that one too. And I've seen their podcast or listened to their podcast or seen their videos or whatever. And there's a lot of them out there and they give a lot of good advice. The community of self-publishers is a really cool community and very friendly. Um, but there is a downside to it. Uh, there are, again, it's like any other, it's like any other group. There's a hierarchy to things, you know, you, like I said, you do have your Mark Dawson's and your Shane Silver's and your Michael Anderley's and all these, uh, like probably about 50 of them. I can think that I can think off the top of my head, you know, who are making a lot of money. But for all of those guys and girls, um, the majority of people aren't. You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the majority of people just aren't really good marketing. I know I have never been good at marketing and advertising. That was the one thing I was like, oh, I got everything else right. It's just like the marketing and advertising. I, I've never had a magic touch with it. So I started learning how to do it. Uh, still learning, still learning my lessons uh, on how to do it the correct way. Or the, I shouldn't say correct way because it really isn't a correct way. People tell you, but there's there's an efficient way to do it. And you have to find what it is for you. And that is part of the dark side, too. People, you have a lot of people out there running around offering services and telling you. I see it in Facebook groups all the time. It's disgusting. Like some person in the, in the author group will talk about how they're having trouble and they can't find an agent or whatever. And then some little slimy person will come through and offer them, call me at my office. We do X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. You have some editors on places like Fiverr who are people who don't really edit the books. They take the book, copy and paste it into a program like Grammarly and just spit out like a very base report version that do minor corrections and then send it back to you that the person in charge of like a couple hundred dollars for it, which I and I think that is part of the reason why you're seeing. So you do see some of these uh, even the better produced um, self-published books do have errors in them because they do go to editors. It's just that the editors that they go to sometimes aren't vetted. So it's very important or, or aren't good. So it's very important to vet your editor. Um, I fortunately uh, wound up in the past year uh, having a partnership with a very skillful editor who has a lot of respect. She's very tough, but she has a lot of respect in the industry. And she's got a lot of respect from a lot of uh, people in tr- tr- uh, self-publishing and traditional publishing. Um I don't, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to be uh, one of her clients, but that's what you got to do. You got to kind of look at that. And I learned that from making mistakes, making those kind of mistakes in the past that I had to go and do this no matter what it took. And it's not easy and it's not cheap, but you got to go ahead and do it if you're going to have a professional product. Same thing with cover design. Um, now, I'm fortunately pretty decent at, uh, at, I've been using Photoshop since 1994 and book covers are not that complicated. If, and if you know, like an intermediate level of Photoshop skills, like I was considered myself probably low intermediate level of Photoshop skills, you can make good book covers if you have a decent eye. Um, and you, again, you vet them with people who are professionals. And I vetted mine against a couple professional uh, book cover artists. And most, I think she, nine out of 10 of them said, you, you don't need my help. It's, it's, it's good. You might want to treat this and treat this and treat that, but it's a pretty good cover. So I was like, okay, well, that's an expense I don't have to pay for because I'm pretty decent with making book covers. But there are, again, people out there who will take your money. And uh, and there's a, there's a lot of that going around, unfortunately. 
there's a lot of people too, and some of them are gurus in it in the community who tell people really stupid things. There's this whole right to market thing. Now, right to market's not inherently a bad thing, uh, but it is something personally I despise about Hollywood, which is they just regurgitate the same thing over and over again. Oh, super mo- superhero movies are popular. Let's make a superhero movie. Let's find every type of every superhero we can and make a movie out of it. Or hey, this kind of movie works, so we're just gonna make a generic version of it. Um, the problem when you do it as a self-publisher is your book, if you make a book and the premise of your book is based off of Mass Effect, I've seen that, a lot of them are people who are just rearranging the storylines of Twilight or Hunger Games, especially Harry Potter. And they're, you know, uh, uh, instead of it being like for Twilight, instead of it being vampires, it's it's mermaids, you know, or, you know, <laughs> some people are taking stories from movies. And if you've seen the movie, you can read the book and kind of it follows the same beats. There is some of that that goes on out there. You wind up looking like, you know, that those those movies at the bottom of the red box, <laughs> bottom of red box. That's not Pirates of the Caribbean. It's pirates of the caribbean you know that kind of a thing you know or or you wind up being like robo 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 police you know instead of robocop something like that that's what you kind of wind up looking like sometimes so eh. um but again there's but again for every negative thing there's positive things there are a bella forest is fantastic uh i shane silvers does have some people claim shane silvers is kind of trying to be like Jim Butcher, but I, I, there's outside of the wizard thing is per parallels, but his series seems to be more like a, um, uh, a wizard version of Iron Man, which is kind of funny because Dr. Strange does exist, but his Nate Temple series is not like Dr. Strange. So it's not a ripoff of Dr. Strange. So it's kind of funny, um, that people say that I was like, there's already, there already is a wizard, Tony Stark. Nate Temple, you know, Shane, so Shane series is not really that you can tell it's a lot of his stuff is based off of uh, his love for the Marvel cinematic universe, but he's not ripping it off. I would say, um, and there's some really original stories that are out there from some authors that I absolutely adore. And there are some shady aspects to the industry. There are, as it is with everything else, but self-publishing is not, the end all and be all. I think it is more towards the future of what things are going to be like, because um, I sum it up like this. It's, to, it's the democratization of the word of storytelling of books. I actually think it's kind of weird that there's this idea that there are supposed to be gatekeepers for people to be able to tell their stories, to tell a story and have it go out to the most people possible in the world. Almost an outdated concept. I It, it was necessary when you needed uh, somebody to print books and mass market those books and, and have the ability to be able to ship them around the world. An author or even a group of authors cannot do that on their own. They didn't have the capital. You have to have a warehouse. You have to have a printing press. You have to pay for all that stuff. You have to be able to ship things and all that stuff. Today, you don't you don't have to do that to get your story. Somebody, I've had people from, what's it, 27 countries now have read, have read my books. And people all the way on the other side of the world. And I'm just like, I, I, in order to do that 20 years ago, it would have been impossible today. You can, so there's, there's really no, the publishing houses are there for quality control mainly. Now they're not really necessary for you to get your story out. And again, if you're good at marketing and you hire other professional people and they, you know, again, the same people that the publishing companies hire to do the same thing, 
yeah, you know, it's like the the only real difference is again is the amount of money in the budget for the marketing. You know, that's pretty much it. I will tell you this: I have a lot more. I think I would imagine I have a lot more fun doing this than being with a traditional publisher again. I didn't really enjoy the traditional publisher thing because I didn't have any support. I didn't know what I was doing, and there was no support here with the self-publishing thing. I've learned so much more about how things actually work. I even, you know, I would kind of do it. And some people go, um, well, what if kind of cold, uh, you know, what if a publisher wants to get it? A publisher's not going to take kind of cold because it's already, I was like, yeah, cause it's already been published. What does a publisher need to publish a book that's already been published for? They're like, well, um, you know, they always have these, all these reasons and excuses. And I'm just like, well, you won't sell as many books. I was like, but I probably make the same amount of money. Yeah, but you've also heard figures, and I've heard figures, and I've talked to uh, traditionally published authors, and I know what their royalties are per book sale, and I know what my royalties are per book sale, and I we figured one one friend, her and I were talking on uh, Google Hangouts before they killed it, and um, it was like six months ago, and she was going about we we figured it out that she had to sell forty five percent more books to get paid the same amount of money that I do from selling lesser books. So I sell fewer books, but I make the same, if not more money than she does from selling a lot of books. And it's like, mm, I don't know. So it depends on what you're, and again, it's not for everybody. It depends on what you're in it for. If you have an entrepreneurial spirit, um, if you can learn and you can be organized and you don't mind working hard because it is hard work and you keep in mind, it is a, uh, it is a business and like any business you're investing the first couple of years and then you're hoping for a profit a couple of years down the road. So you got to do all the upfront investment is not cheap. It's not free. Uh, but if you can dedicate your time and, and learn and learn the both sides of the business, both the writing and the marketing, you do pretty damn well. Indie publishers I told you about before, most of them who were, who were very successful, they have been approached and some of them have signed with the traditional publishing companies and some of them have signed and came back because what I said before is that, you know, they didn't get a lot of support and they made, they could make more money selling the book on their own than what the publishing houses did for them. So listen to Joanna Penn, listen to Kindlepreneur, listen to Mark Dawson's podcast, uh, follow those kinds of people who are actually follow somebody who's actually doing it and actually making money doing it. But I would give it a shot and look at it again. It takes a long time. It's, it's, it's a patience game. It's a numbers game. It's a lot of math. Creative people don't like math a lot, but uh, it is there and it is work. You know, everything's not happy, fun time all the time, but uh, I absolutely enjoy it. I, I enjoy it as a, as a side gig right now. Um, hopefully someday it'll be a full-time gig. If it ever becomes a full-time gig, I'll be more than, I'll be ecstatic because I grew up and it, this is the kind of the funny thing about me in the self-publishing industry. I've always been kind of, I want to do my own thing kind of guy entrepreneurial. I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast is why I do a whole bunch of other stuff that I like doing things and having projects and putting them out. I've always had that spirit and I've always wanted to be a writer since I was like 10 years old. So it's funny how, as life has gone on, this confluence of things have resulted in me getting to this point. It's just funny how life works out sometime. My final point on it is as far as its validity, again, it's going to be where the future is going to be. There's even like big name authors right now who are on the on the sneak doing it themselves, you know, aside, outside of what their publishers know. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's the same thing with music. Like I said, it's the same thing with music, video, movies, everything else. It's becoming democratized. 
there there aren't any barriers to somebody telling their story or writing a story and putting it out there to the world. It's up to the consumer to decide whether or not they want to read it. Um, same thing with everything else. So um, I, I think that's a cool thing. And I think a lot of the backlash to it comes from, it's like the same thing that happened with the printing press. When the printing press came out, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, you know, what, what is going on with this? Now, now you're going to, you're going to have words to everybody. It's getting outside of our, you know, the priests and the, the, uh, the aristocrats, they were the only ones, you know, who could have books and read. And now the printing press made it mass produced for the world. And I think that self-publishing is not to the same extent, but it is partially, it, it is in the same neighborhood as the way people felt about the printing press. Some people thought it was a miracle. Other people who were in love with keeping it, un, you know, to the elites um, hated it. And I think the same thing is going on now with a lot of people, you know, who, who hate the indie author industry because they think it should be on only, only, to, uh, you know, to the elites. And look what happens when it gets out of the elites. And we should be the only ones who are the arbiters of, of whether or not stories can be told to anybody around the world. It's really kind of weird. But anyway, that's my... Little soapbox too about that whole thing, but uh, thank you guys for listening. Next week we're gonna go back to interviews. Uh, I will be doing an interview with my friend Tony. We're gonna be talking about social media and the and technology and a lot of things uh, related to this topic that I talked about today. But thank you guys for checking this out. Uh, definitely visit my blog at blog.aoestudios.com. Again, like I said, Conical is coming out at the end of the month, so if you're interested in that, you can get a free book off of my website. Uh, the first book is free, so you can definitely check it out. And thank you guys, man, for checking us out. I'll see you guys next time for more of the wonderfully weird. Behave yourselves, but not too much.